This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, lovely listeners. It's Laura here because I have some very exciting news to share with you. We are getting back on the road and doing not one, not two, but three live shows before the end of the year and tickets are out now. All of the shows are going to be in Bush Hall in London. Basically think of it as a go love yourself residency at this point. Our first one is going to be on the 30th of October and it's going to be our Halloween party. So make sure you get those tickets ASAP so you can see everyone's fabulous outfits. You can find more information and the link to the tickets in the episode description and all across our Instagram at go love yourself pod. We cannot wait to see you there. This is a crowd podcast. A huge thank you to today's Patreon sponsor, Christina Rivera. Thank you so, so much. It really does make a huge difference to the show carrying on. And we love you so much. We really do. And we have some very exciting changes coming to our Patreon soon, including exclusive access to our live show recordings. So if you'd like to join our Patreon and help keep the show going, head to patreon.com forward slash go love yourself for more information. Membership starts from £1 a week and you'll also get access to ad-free and early episodes. Or you can also support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts. The links to all of those will be in the episode description. Welcome to Go Love Yourself. Laura, you have something to tell the people. Okay, this is going to be a major letdown for so many of you. <laughs> I do have an important announcement to make, and that is that I... Are you ready? I'm so ready. I finally watched Gilmore Girls, guys. This <laughs> <laughs> is listening to a bunch of Gen Z and millennials, and we understand. <laughs> So I was in Manchester for work recently and I was watching it and uh, well actually no that's a lie I'd been watching it for a few days on Netflix and then I was on the train and I was like what should I watch I was like oh I'll watch some Gilmore Girls and then I thought it'd be really fun to send Lauren this voice note are you ready oh my god right but hold on this voice note this voice note don't freak out do not freak out whatever you do don't freak out. Stop it there, Laura, right? Because hold on a second. When you get that voice note like that from your friend, right? I understand <laughs> it really could mean anything from I've watched Gilmore Girls to everyone I know has died and everything's terrible, <laughs> right? The world is coming to an end. I've just seen a meteor approach. <laughs> I understand that, but I really was going along. You don't really send those kind of messages that often. So I was like... <laughs> It's a meteor coming and this is how you're telling me? <laughs> this was at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> carry on, carry okay, on. Okay, this is the rest of the voice note. You ready? Don't freak out. But I'm on episode two of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and I really like it. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> this is Lauren's response. <laughs> Fuck you so hard. <laughs> Do you play it? Do you play it? Fuck you so hard. I didn't even get the end of the <laughs> gotcha. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I, I did that to you. But Freaked me out. Uh, Don't I actually do that. really like Gilmore Girls. It's it is it's really wholesome. I've watched quite a bit more. I think I'm halfway through season one. Jeez. It's a really nice comfort show to have on while I'm working. I like. I quite like it. It's Are you cute. proud of me? I'm. Sh- 
shocked. Can I be a bit woke <laughs> and say one thing though that I don't Always. like about it? Always. I don't like the portrayal of uh, Melissa McCarthy's character being like the fat, clumsy, funny one. Interesting. I find it very, I think having done a bit of research for the book about like fat people and stereotypes in the media, like I'm really, I, I'll be honest and say I'm yeah. very sensitive to it. And some people will call me a Karen and that's absolutely fine. But I, I just, I feel like her character is very much reduced to, uh, it's not actually around her weight to be fair, but it's around her being like very clumsy and like the side chick character and like that's mm. kind of her only personality trait yeah she's like yeah the fat funny friend basically she has no other kind of she is the like, fat vibes. funny friend but i find that so interesting because i would never i think for a lot of gilmore girl fans especially plus size gilmore girl fans it's kind of like her weight is never really i think it might come up maybe i can't really remember i haven't watched it probably for a long time but it's not the central theme of her. it doesn't really get brought up in the same way but you're so right in that she's a fat character who has got the typical traits that fat characters did in the 90s and noughties. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's, just, it's a little bit like lazy writing. Like we've got a plus as character. Oh, like let's make her clumsy and let's make her a chef. Like, uh, I don't know. And let's make her really funny and bubbly. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's great. <laughs> Today's episode is about a topic that we should be talking a lot more about and should have always been talking a lot more about contraception. I've always had a lot of thoughts on this topic personally, which probably started when I was 12 years old and my doctor tried to put me on the pill because my periods were painful. I'm sure we'll get into that later because I've got some feelings about it still clearly. Um, But this is a really important topic and one that we want to get right. So we needed a healthcare professional to help us do that this week. And who better to talk to about this than Dr. Becky from The Lowdown, a website that calls itself, and this is fantastic, the trip advisor for your vagina. So hi, Dr. (laughs) Becky, welcome to Go Love You yourself how are you <laughs> I am ridiculously excited to be here and I'm also like a massive fangirl so <laughs> I feel like I'm super excited on so many levels and listening to you do the intro- introduction is super weird because I've like listened to it quite a few times on podcasts mm. and I'm like oh my god it's amazing that you're talking to so um yeah Aww. it's super exciting to be here so hopefully I can be interesting and have some useful things to talk about well then let's start with a bag of dicks Becky I feel like there's no better place to start and I was uh, gonna say how big is it gigantic so much stuff to put in it yes so much stuff (laughs) (laughs) there's so many things that are wrong about contraception and the world of research around contraception and and health um that I yeah I could pretty much put all of it in but um yeah I was was trying to come up with with one particular one but I'm just going to go with side effects of contraception because it's obviously why I do what I do is why I work with a lowdown um it's why I do research I do and I'm so fed up of um, people just minimising people's contraception issues. So women women or people using contraceptives come with different side effects, might be mood, might be sex drive, might be anything. And they get it completely minimised. It's like, oh, well, you can either be pregnant or you can have a contraceptive and that's like your option. And so I feel really passionate. And that's hence why I became part of the lowdown um, about improving that so people have an idea of what to expect and can make informed choices about what they do when it comes to contraception so I'm going to put all of contraceptive side effects into your bag of dicks if that's okay it's in because I have I mean (laughs) the side effects are wild I mean I used to I was on the pill for a long long time and the side effects are everything from like your mood changing but physical changes mental change like all of it and like you said the options were and they weren't spoken about when I was you know in my teens and 20s the options were you either get pregnant or you don't and you don't and the only option is the pill 
So that's where yeah, I'm coming you should from. Be glad that you've got that. <laughs> right. you know, be glad that you've got that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so I think, yeah, because I, I have this vivid memory of, um, I think I must have been about 17 or 18, and I got started on microgynon, which is oh, yes. the same hormones as Rigovedon and Ofrenet. It's like the, the first line contraceptive that everyone gets started on because it's got the lowest risk of blood clots out of all of the combined hormonal methods. And I vividly remember, like three weeks into using it, I went to mum's bedroom and I was like, mum, is it normal to feel like you want to throw yourself out the window when you're on the pill? And my mum was like, oh, Oh, oh my God. God, like stop it, mm. like stop it, completely mm. stop it. And went back and we changed to a different combination of hormones and I was absolutely fine. And then I've always, I've always used the hormonal coil. Like I'm a bit of a hormonal coil obsessive, you know, I've used it for like last 15 years now, I think, and haven't had a period for 15 years. So for me, the hormonal coil has been incredible, but then I speak to lots of women, I fit coils myself who have side effects with the hormonal coil. Mm. And I think too often we sort of see women and we say, oh, well, you know, the, the, the scientific research says those side effects don't exist. And so my argument with my research and with the lowdown is that if you don't have the right people enrolled in your studies, like, you know, women in larger bodies and people of different ethnicities, then you don't get the right results. And I think that's the thing that kind of really, really bugs me, that we don't really know enough about real world side effects. Um, Hence why Alice, who's the founder of the lowdown, created this incredible, incredible platform where you can look at reviews. And so you can actually get real life reviews of people who've had contraceptive side effects. And we've sort of compiled it so you can look at, you know, all, all the different brands of pills and patches and rings and everything you can possibly imagine um, and look at what, what you really could be facing from a side effect point of view. So you can actually compare them a bit like an iPhone. You know, you can compare like a progestion only pill with like Rigovedon or, and you can see what different side effects you might expect with the different contraceptives. So yeah, we're super, super proud of it. Like I wish I'd had it when I was that 18 year old girl feeling suicidal on microgynon, you know, and knowing that I wasn't going crazy. You know, one in four people are on contraceptives, hormonal contraceptives that are assigned female at birth like it's a huge number yeah we don't have very much research on it so uh yeah that's my kind of bandwagon and into the bag of it it goes <laughs> and it, and you're so right it's it's criminally it has been criminally under research and under promoted and the yeah. fact that you know i think yeah. i went on the pill when i was 16 properly and it just wasn't even a conversation it was you're going on the pill and everyone all my friends were on it everyone was on it and then it's only kind of when we start to get a bit older in our late you know late 20s and now we're in our 30s of thinking what's in these things please and why is it okay that one of my friends had such awful you know mental side effects from hers and and it just wasn't even a conversation that there was any other option and I think I mean because like the flip side is like synthetic hormones are great for treating certain conditions you know like you know the combined combined hormonal contraceptives for things like endometriosis polycystic ovarian syndrome we use it for things like um premenstrual dysphoric disorder which is like a a sort of severe form of PMS and actually that synthetic hormones or hormonal contraceptives are revolutionary for those for people starting on those like they, it changes their life you know like there's a there's a flip side to it that that you know synthetic hormones are incredible for for treating certain conditions but i think the frustrating thing is that the the lack of knowledge especially sometimes among healthcare professionals around the different types of even combined hormonal contraceptives, there's like five different types of hormonal combinations that you can have. And it comes in lots of different forms, like pills, patches, vaginal rings, you know, and that's just talking about combined hormonal contraceptives. So estrogen and progesterone together, you know, that lack of knowledge just disempowers people from making decisions about like how to be well and be as happy as possible um so yeah I'm like a super fan of like switching changing working out what's going to work best for you and your body so hence why we're at the lowdown (laughs) for anyone that doesn't know can you just tell us a little bit more about what the lowdown is um, and how you got involved in it 
Absolutely. So, so the, the lowdown was really the brainchild uh, for the founder, Alice, who um, had a really rough time um, with endometriosis and trying lots of different pills that really affected her mood. And she felt like there was no space where you could get really reliable information about the different type of contraceptive options. So um, we've got a huge number of reviews now for all sorts of different types of contraceptives that people have made themselves. So you can kind of, you can search by age group, you can search by contraceptives, you can search by side effects. And we've just started two new kind of community areas for endometriosis and for polycystic ovarian syndrome which is really bringing people together with those conditions so they can share different things that have worked different treatment options different management routes so that really what we're wanting is to have have a space that is that has proper good medical information but that allows people just to um, share their own experiences because you know what it's like like you google something and you're literally like three clicks to cancer and it's just it's incredibly scary so yeah so so hopefully by being more noisy we can create a space where we can move it forwards is my theory (laughs) whether that will work or not I don't know No, it's only a good thing let's talk about this and it's it's so strange that we're still not talking about sexual health, women's health in general and contraception as much as we should be. Um, it, and it, it, it baffles me a little bit. It should be the top of our conversations as women when we're together. And similarly, you were talking about, you know, endo and PCOS, HPV. Why Absolutely. are we not talking about that? And people are terrified about that was it. A, that was a letter that I got and it scared the shit out of me. And then all of a sudden you mentioned it to a couple of friends. I'm like, oh yeah, I've had that too. Why are we not talking about it? Like, Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. It's terrifying. Like it's terrifying, and because I've always been HPV positive ever since I had my first smear at 25. You know, it's just one of those things that you know is part. And I often share that with patients. I tell I tell my patients like, look. I'm HPV, HPV positive. It just means I need to be more like aware of going for my smears. Mm. Like it's, it's a good, you know, good to know basically. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess I, I'm definitely in a bubble because I talk about it all the time. Like I'm known as like, I'm, I, whenever I go out for dinner with my friends, I'll always mention a vagina at least once. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm one of those type of people that you can't, you know, it's a general running theme. Like my, I play, oh, well, I used to play a bit of hockey before I got, before I hit 40, but and my, my tour name was Dr. Sexpert because I was, I would always like get some nice. sort of like sex Tell me you've in. got a t-shirt like, with Doctor Sexpert on it. Tell me there are so many. I think it's now. I think it's now. Mrs. I got Mrs. Sexpert now when I got married. So yeah, last year, so oh, I was Mrs. Like, Sexpert. Like yes. Into it. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. That's so fantastic. I think I'm in a bubble and I forget. So I think the more we can all talk about it in a bigger forum, like, and talk to our, you know, talk to our friends, talk to our kids, talk to our nieces and nephews about, um, you know, contraception and sexual well-being, then hopefully we can shift this, like, shift this stigma that we all still kind of see and face all the time. Because we forget, Mm. like, like, some of my patients, like, they'll come in with the most random words for their vaginas. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about I'm like oh my god I work up in I work in Sheffield and we've got like some dip, very interesting slang for vagina and I'm like I'm gonna need to know one like, of them now yeah oh, beef curtains foo-foo sorry funny, what was cur- curtain or did you say beef curtain beef you curtains. did okay good right fine yeah, beef curtains. <laughs> Lovely. yeah. I, mine's a nun or a foo just say vagina uh, everyone or vulva just say it all yeah I just think if we can change the change the way we talk about things and you know hopefully we can kind of break some of these taboos that are still happening now so yeah, the next agree. generation won't have to go through what we've been through sort of in our teens hopefully (laughs) I totally agree my mum was so open about periods and sex and contraception and stuff and that I think has has had a huge effect on who I am as an adult and thank god she did um you know feeling not embarrassed and, and and being able to have these conversations with your children 
uh, with all your children uh, is it's just so beneficial. And I think if if culturally or religiously you're not able to have these conversations or your family has never had them with you, then I like the fact that we've got a website like yours that perhaps a young girl can go on to and find the resources and information that they need. Yeah. That really makes yeah, me happy. Absolutely. Yeah, and we spent ages, like I remember, this is kind of going back. I mean, the, the whole, the lowdown is just, evolved and evolved into it just keeps growing and growing but I remember like when I joined a couple of years ago um what we did we spent ages just writing blogs about google questions so whatever people googled um like the clever people who do like social media and computer things would just <laughs> give us like questions that people googled and so I was like writing a blog about like period poo and I was like I've never I didn't really ever think about period poos before and then I was like writing a blog on it so we, we literally anything that you googled you we've written a blog on it so our blogs are like such an incredible place there's like hundreds of blogs that we've written about everything you can imagine from like full moon period parties to mm-hmm. you know Marina coils to like comparing this to that you know everything you could possibly think you want to google is in our blog section so um yeah and we've all written them so sometimes they're written by medical writers and then the doctors will like review them and check them for accuracy but yeah that is a super fun place to like look look if you've got anything interesting to look at period period. <laughs> well, honestly as if having your period and your wound falling out wasn't yeah. enough it's like here you go have like diarrhea yeah. well. and it's a total Totally Love true thing. Me. Like it's a totally true thing. Yeah. That you, like your bowels go completely nuts when you're on your period. So, but yeah, I didn't, it's I didn't so know this crazy. until like a few years Same. ago. I saw it on TikTok. Me, like, I was it was like a joke. Yeah. I saw a TikTok. Yeah, and someone was like, no, it's actually a thing. And I was like, oh my God, why didn't I know this? Like, it makes sense now because you just think there's something wrong with it or you've eaten something. I'm like, oh, it's just a coincidence that every time I'm on my period, I've got got the shits. No. (laughs) The toilet roll just skips out of the house during the period week, honestly. (laughs) My husband's looking at me from the other room like, what a lovely conversation. (laughs) (laughs) The massive bonus of having a Marina coil is like no periods. Like, think how much money I've saved on like tampons (gasps) in the last 15 years. Oh my God, you're rich. Honestly, I feel like I'm single-handedly saving the planet with my lack of like <laughs> sanitary well products. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah, yeah, because I think there's perhaps misunderstanding because th- this is the reason I'm asking it is um is being on a con- on a contraception for a long period of time and not having a period. There's a worry in my head that that's not a good thing. I am just wondering if that is the case because I feel like that's always you know when someone's come off the period uh, contraception they've been on it for 10 years or oh, you you're not going to be able to get pregnant for a long long time because it's in your system or you haven't had periods for that long that's really bad that's what I think I don't think that's right yeah. is that right you're 100% 100% not alone with that like that's that's probably one of the most common questions I oh, say good. I get asked there's t- there's two things really so we talk a lot about fertility so you know and I know you guys have, t- have talked quite a lot about fertility and, and the sort of stra- stress of as you get older, like your fertility changes. And we know that you're not as fertile, you know, when you're, say, my age at 40 as you are when you're 20. Like your fertility is different. So if you've been on a contraceptive for like 20 years and you stop at 40, you're not going to be as fertile as you were when you were 20. Mm. But it's nothing to do with your contraceptive. It's just time has passed. Oh, so your fertility okay. has changed. There's, there's definitely like I hear this quite a lot, um, especially with some of the women I, I, that I see in my research, this fear of like bad blood. If you're not bleeding, you're building up this bad yes. blood and then it's going to create yeah. you problems. Yeah. And I think I don't know. I don't quite know where it comes from. But so when you're so what's happening when you have your period is your the lining of your womb, your endometrium is thickening and then you go through hormone changes, which 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 cause your womb to just like dump it out. And it just drops out. And then the raw area bleeds a little bit. So you get a bit more blood being lost. <clears throat> so what happens? 
happens when you're on a contraceptive is that you don't build up that endometrium so that the, this sort of lining doesn't build up. Um, so you don't have that kind of thing to shed. So there's nothing to shed there. So like when I've got my marina coil, for example, um, it just puts you into a sort of frozen state, really. You don't, nothing is, nothing is thickening and then needing to bleed. I think some of the confusion happens with like, so for example, with PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you haven't got any synthetic, synthetic hormones in your body. And if you don't have a period for a really long time, like over six months, you can build up um, abnormal cells within inside the womb. So what we say for women with PCOS who don't have a period for over six months, you should have a withdrawal bleed. And we can kind of induce that by using a short course of progestogen to give you a bleed. And that kind of clears out the inside of the womb that's kind of built up over time. But that's because you're not on anything else. You're just on your body's natural hormone system. So I think some of it comes from that, that there's this kind of, um, you know, sort of of thing that you have to have a period. But actually what the contraceptives are doing is it's just stopping your period completely. And there's like some super interesting stuff when you look at the history of contraception so combined hormonal contraceptives so that's the you know combined pill so estrogen and progesterone and you've got the patch and you've got the vaginal ring there's always been this like traditional way of using it where you have three weeks on one week off three weeks on one week off and um, so they could get it through the catholic church because they wanted to kind of create a sort of a, a sort of a mimic of the female cycle and it didn't get through the catholic church anyway because it's contraceptive but there is there is no real scientific reason to have the withdrawal bleed. and it's only really recently that they've actually announced that like as in like within the last year wasn't it that they actually said you don't need to take a break you don't need to have a bleed. We've been doing this for years. Like I've been talking about it for like last 10 years, but it just doesn't filter down. And I even heard people tell patients, like my own patients have been told by other GPs, oh, it's dangerous not to have a break week. And I'm like, no, you're you're literally stopping an effective contraception for a week. You know, so it, it actually makes it more effective by taking it back to back, as we call it. So what we find with the hom- uh, combined hormonal contraceptive is that you, that most people will have like a natural length that they can go continuously taking it before they get spotting and so at that point you can have a four-day break shed the you know have a withdrawal bleed and then restart it again majority of people tend to be three packets and then they'll have a a four-day break three packets four-day break so yeah so and I think the future will be that that it'll just be prescribed continuously and then you'll just have a break when you need it so the problem with women's health is that the some of these like ways of doing things are so like deeply sort of um, fixed in people's minds like that that trying to get them to change even you know healthcare professionals to change the way they prescribe the pill is really really hard to do so hence why the lowdown spends so much time trying to get this out into the general you know circulation that, that actually it's fine to take it continuously and if you've got endometriosis for example or PCOS having it continuously is way better because you don't want to be bleeding you don't want to be cycling you want to cycle suppress so but yeah so a very long-winded way to say you know you're absolutely no no problems being there's no evidence your fertility will be impacted by a contraceptive other than the depots, that's a big one to mention when it comes to pregnancy. Like I wouldn't, I would never pres- prescribe the depot, so the depot injection for someone who wanted to get pregnant in the next couple of years, because with a depot injection, there's about an 18 month delay in your fertility coming back. And I've had, I've spoken to women where they've been prescribed like the depot and they suddenly want to get pregnant in their late thirties. And then it's 18 months and they're hitting like 40, 41. And you're just like, oh, you know, there are much better options like implant, coil, all those things. You stop them and your fertility is back to normal, whatever your normal was going to be at that point in your life. 
Lovely listeners, it's time for a quick ad break because we have a new podcast recommendation for you. It's called Goes Without Saying and it's hosted by best friends Sefi and Wing. Our producer, Fion, has been a fan for years and she even says they're basically the Gen Z us, which I kind of love. (laughs) (laughs) They have frank and compassionate chats about topics like confidence, mental health, body image, self-care and all the anxious spirals that come with your 20s. Definitely sounds like us. (laughs) They also talk lots about Harry Potter and Taylor Swift. So Lauren, you're going to fit right in. I think, honestly, I'm a Gen Z and a millennial body. 100%. It's a really great listen if you're looking to try something new and it really just feels like a girly catch up with friends that get it. Oh, sounds like us. Uh, But some of their recent episodes also include How to Survive Your 20s, The Myth of Cringe and TikTok Misogyny, which I think is fantastic. So join Sefi and Wing every Monday and Thursday for hand-holding hysterics and a girly catch up. I was going to ask you what like the best and worst contraceptions are in your opinion. But is it kind of more nuanced than that? Is it that like one thing might be better for somebody else? Like uh, that, you know, is it quite individual? Oh, 100%. Like, and, and I think that's the, the the biggest problem is that, our, our, you know, we have these guidelines that we follow and the guidelines are completely non-person specific. They're just very, very generic. Like, you know, your BMI is this, you can't have this, you know, com- completely regardless of what your activity level is or your health is, you know, and so they're they're quite fixed these guidelines and if you practice outside them and something bad happened you could potentially you know lose your license so we do tend to to, to work within these sort of contraceptive guidelines but I think a lot of the like the consults I do through the lowdown I would say I always say to people like I start my consults saying like just tell me your story like tell me the story of what brought you here and and you get these amazing like stories of, of these sort of long journeys that, and I know you guys don't like the word journey but <laughs> journeys that people have been on <laughs> like these long journeys that people have been on from like a contraceptive point of view where um you're just like oh my goodness you know the 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 things that they've had to go through in that time um and and I can usually like or you know we can usually find something that will work better for someone even if that is coming off synthetic hormones you know that there's lot there's there's always an option and I think the problem is that people aren't aware of how many different options there are available there should be Mm. more like I think there should be way more research in this area but there are a lot already and I think people aren't really aware of the different range of options that are available because I'm completely biased um, and I love the hormonal coil, I'm always like, I just don't understand why people wouldn't have that. But then I, I know loads of people that don't like it, you know. <laughs> so tell us why you love it so much. Well, I mean, I love so so the, the so you've got the hormonal coil and there's different there's different strengths of hormonal coil. So you've got like the the highest strength is the Mirena, and we use it for. Um, treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding so if people have got horrible periods it's brilliant if you've got horrible perimenopausal bleeding it's brilliant um if you want a contraceptive it's brilliant fit it forget it um contraceptive lasts for six years um if you want to use it as part of your hrt you can use it as half of your hrt so that so it's it's just it's one of those contraceptives that kind of hits all targets you know it's good for treatment of endometriosis saying that sometimes people get side effects with it like that it's not perfect for everyone you know I'd say side effects might be so prolonged irregular bleed patterns some people get a bit of acne with it um you know but I'd say because it's such a low dose of hormone compared to what you're putting into your body when you take a pill it um has less side effects than than other contraceptives it's probably like among my group of friends like my best my best girlfriends in Sheffield I'd say 80% of them have it 
Like really? it's just, yeah. And if you look at like obstetrician doctors, I'd say a vast proportion of them use the hormonal coil. It's just fit, fit it, forget it. Don't worry about it. Obviously, it's not great if you're someone who's had trauma, you know, sexual trauma, or you're, you know, have vulval pain or vaginal pain, or you know, sometimes it can make your periods more uncomfortable if you still have periods with it. You know, so there are people that that it's just not right for. But yeah, yeah it's really interesting. And and we have like um we have like a leaderboard on the contraceptive um on the lowdown website of like top five. And it varies. Like it, it's so fluctuant. At the moment, it's fertility awareness methods is at the top. So that's kind of all the digital fertility cycle tracking and ovulation is at the top. But it used to be the hormonal coil. Interestingly, progesterone only pill always comes quite low down, and that's actually one that's getting more and more prescribed in the UK. So yeah, I just would love everyone to have a really good idea of what side effects are potential potentially going to happen but there's always been I remember when I first started out in this there was a real resistance like I felt people didn't want us to tell the public about side effects because it was like if you tell them about side effects they're not going to use it and they're going to get unwanted pregnancies and abortion rates are going to go up but I think what we found with the lowdown is that people still use the contraceptives it's just that they know what to look out for and they know that they can switch. I think there's quite a lot of misconceptions about the coil. Certainly I've always put, like thought, oh no, that's not for me. One, because it like it can it can feel a bit intrusive. Like, you know, yeah, it's yeah. you know, it can be a bit it's uncomfortable. Internal, but also yeah, like yeah. there's a stigma around it because it's it's painful. What would you say to anyone that was kind of, you know, thinking of doing it but didn't want to do it for those reasons? Yeah. I think um I think that's probably the biggest other than the fact that it's like an intimate procedure I think the biggest fear that people have is is pain um and you know there's been there's so much in the press and I think it's good that people are talking about it about um pain during during fitting um we did uh, we've written like an FAQ about like coil fitting and what to expect and pain relief and because there's loads there are loads of different forms of pain relief like so when I I do coil fitting um up in Sheffield and I always make sure that that people have taken pain relief beforehand I use local anesthetic um I have music on which I know sounds really daft but I always have music on in my um clinic room because um although sometimes it can be super inappropriate because i have put like a spotify playlist on and then something like super <laughs> random comes Shuffle. on oh my god what came on recently my like, house, some sort of, like house, oh, oh, something house. was like shaggy or something came on and i was like oh god this is super inappropriate um and me and the me and the me and the nurse Brilliant. were like oh god luckily everyone found it quite funny but it was like shaggy oh. like it wasn't me or something and i was like oh god this is so bad um but everyone laughed about it. it was fine um, but i think like you know the the more relaxed you are you know it's easy easier said than done when you're not you know when you're when the person you're the person on the on the couch but the more relaxed you can be going into that situation and the more comes I always say to women like if you if you want to stop stop like this literally isn't like some sort of grin it and bear it thing if it's painful we stop like it's not like you know you don't have you don't have to have this done if you don't want to you are completely in control and then just hand the control over to them I'm just like literally the person who's you know doing the procedure but they they're in control of everything so I think having that control to know that you can stop at any point you can lay down you can get off the bed like that massively helps as well. The thing is, like, I'm not, I'm not like a one-off. There is some incredible like GPs and practice nurses around the UK who were doing exactly what we're doing, like plugging away reproductive health and their general practices. Um, the problem is that you have to try and find them, and I think that's the frustration is that there's there's people who really don't know a lot about reproductive health, giving out really bad advice, and then you know there's pockets where you've got people who really know their stuff and 
trying to get to see them is is like the key, I think, when it comes yeah. to you know. Getting and the bad advice, advice sticks. Do you know what I mean? Ugh. Like you know yeah. the, the the incident with my doctor when I was twelve. Like the only way to possibly have a you know a non painful period was for me to go on the pill at twelve, or or, or his other advice was get pregnant, and my mum nearly slapped yeah. him around the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's also you know going on what you just said there about you know if if something is painful, you know know that you can stop. I think this is a really good opportunity to also say that. You don't have to have any of these. And there are some people listening to this podcast who do not want to take any form of contraception or put a hormone in their body. And that's absolutely fine. Condoms, especially if you don't know them, are non-negotiable. You will not find me saying no. Um, But, you know, I just want to make sure that people are aware that you don't have to do that. And people have got thoughts on putting hormones on your body. That's absolutely fine. But our conversation today is, is, is... is bringing awareness to and talking about some of these forms of contraception. Yeah, but we talk a lot though down about coming off. You know, like we spend a lot of time like talking off, uh, talking about coming off synthetic hormones. You know, and I think um, that kind of probably brings us on to fertility awareness methods, which which are really having like a massive resurgence at the moment in terms of combining it with like the digital side of things. So you know, temperature monitoring and, and this type of thing. I don't know if you've seen recently, like in the press, there's been a bit of a sort of backlash against it being like, oh, people are saying all these side effects of synthetic hormones. So everyone's coming off their synthetic hormones and getting pregnant and we're seeing rise in abortion rates. The, the, the problem is that there's so much misinformation out there about, you know, on TikTok, um, Instagram about cycle tracking. Like if you're going to do it, awesome, but do it like properly, like do it with, you've got to, you've got to look at all the different so parts of your cycle they've got some fantastic resources out there for um people who will actually work with you to sit and teach you how to use these fertility you know methods like like I'm all for for switching and trying what works better with your body but do it properly don't just be like oh I'm gonna just use my flow app and look at where my dates are like that doesn't work you've got to use other factors like your temperature you know your vaginal mucus which I know sounds super gross but you can look at your discharge there's lots of different things you have to look at I cannot tell you how much I have talked about vaginal mucus (laughs) in the infertility years it's fine even my husband now she's like oh yeah like yeah it's just yeah it's all good it just frustrates me that like it's all up to us really as women like, why should we inject ourselves with hormones? Like, like Lauren, I've been on the pill since like I was 18. Haven't been on anything for like a long time now. But I had to switch pills so much because I'm like, you can't be on this one for longer than two years because of your weight. You can't be on this one at all because of your weight. Every doctor told me different things. I finally found a pill that was like, I had terrible acne all out of the blue at 24. And then they put me on Dianet and they were like, you can't be on it for long because because you're fat mm. everything's like because you're fat when mm. not all doctors sorry I should say that because you're yeah. lovely we love you <laughs> you can stay um diet made me crazy literally I was paranoid and it cost me my relationship with Matt we actually split up because I was oh, and God. I was honestly I felt like a different person but it was only when I came off of it that I was like I'm sick of putting this shit in my body like I'm so sick of it I think, you know, it's obviously, and I'm sure you'll like advocate as well. It's all about finding something that's right for you, isn't it? But all I can say that from my personal experience is that I'm so much happier and calmer. Yes, I'm still a miserable bitch a lot of the time, but I'm so much like more consistent now. Also because of Citalopram, I'll just say that as well. It really annoys me that it's always up to us as women to do it. And why should it be on us when we can carry one pregnancy at one time, but matey boy can go and get the hundreds of people pregnant in that that Uh, nine months? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if patriarchy weren't a thing, contraceptions for women would not be a thing. It would be for men and it would, I just can't kiss with the patriarchy. I know. And that's why I love what you said, Lauren, about condoms. Like, because... I'm not saying all men, but like there's a massive thing of men just 
be, like, it's okay to say oh, I can't wear a condom because it doesn't fit. It doesn't. Bollocks, like, there's condoms bollocks. for everyone, every shape and size, little, medium, big, wide, short, you know, stocky, whatever you've got. Stocky. There's a condom out there for you. But it, but it seems okay that it can be like, oh, I have, you know, I, you know, I, I, sorry, I can't use a condom. It's you know, and it's like, but yeah. okay, so it's okay for me to put synthetic hormones into my body, which makes me feel like a yeah. crazy maniac. But yeah. you not put a bit of rubber on. The worst one, the worst one I've, I've had, and I had it loads when I was younger. I just don't like the feel of it, so I'm not using it. <laughs> I don't really want to get chlamydia. Yeah, so. But we we do have to take responsibility for that and say, actually, well, if you don't put a condom on, I'm not having sex. Like, you know, we, like, and, you know, I'm not saying I'm not an angel. Like there's been times that I've, you know, not been perfect when it's come to like SDI protection. But like if they say they're not going to wear a condom, then they don't respect you and therefore don't have sex with them. Like if I could like tell myself as a, you know, a young, you know, a younger woman, something that would be it. Like if they don't want to wear a condom, they don't respect you enough for you to be having sex with them. 100%. And I think that's, you know, that is so important. And I want to get that across to, to my, you know, my stepdaughters and my daughter. Like I want them to understand that they have the right to say no, if someone's not going to wear a condom, like the large number of the population use condoms as their regular form of contraception. And it works really well. Like as long as you get it on at the beginning, you leave it on till the end, you know, they work well. I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, we, we talk a lot of the lowdown about male contraception. And um, we had um, last year for World Contraception Day, we had a lovely couple down from Edinburgh who were part of the male contraceptive trial up there and where he's, I think it's a type of progesterone gel or something. And he was sort of talking about his experiences. And it's so funny because often these trials get stopped because men get these side effects of like headaches, you know, um, sex drive change, you know, all these other things. Get violin out, shall I? Like normal, like the normal things we deal with and we're just told, oh, well, you can have that or you can have pregnancy. You know, it's that or enough termination. Do you know what I mean? This is it. But at the start, you said something like, I, or, you know, we use this particular pill because it has the least amount of chance of a blood clot. Our best hope sometimes is something on a bit of paper that says the least amount of chance of a blood clot. Yet these dudes are out here. Some dudes, not all dudes, are out here being like, oh, condom doesn't fit. One, shush. Two, you're stupid. <laughs> and three, like, th- that's that's not an equitable situation here. You putting on a condom for five to 10 minutes is not equitable to be, you know, taking a pill every day or something. Do you know what I mean? And it's very frustrating. There have been very frustrating conversations that we and my girls have had, you know, in the last however many years we've all been having sex and stuff about what guys are saying they will and won't do versus what we feel like we have to do in order to, you know, have sex. And it just is so frustrating. And I'm with you. If nothing else from this conversation today, everyone, take that away. <laughs> tell your daughters get your daughters to tell their friends tell everyone absolutely yeah 100% be strong be empowered you know you're the person that has the strength in this situation if you're the one that says I'm not having sex with you they're gonna get a condom on pretty quickly do you know what I mean true story true story but we have to like yeah we have to be the ones that are saying actually no this is not okay but that's about that's about like this whole belief in yourself isn't it that comes from empowerment that comes from us saying like I am worthy of this yes and I think that's it's hard like isn't it it's hard you know like society has made us like less confident in our voice and I think you know if we can give anyone anything it's having the you know in the same conception like change it if it's not working change it like so many women are like stuck on one one contraceptive option I'm like there's so many out there just change it even if you're just changing the brand or the combination of hormones in it just change it if you're not happy change it that's a big thing so a really common experience for people in bigger bodies including myself is getting contraceptives denied I sort of hinted at earlier because of BMI now we know that the BMI is not the most accurate 
measure of health or indeed the only measure of health. Can you explain that to us while it is? And I also wondered if there were certain contraceptives that we might have needed to avoid or ones that were better for us uh, and also for us sort of PCOS girlies. So let's hit BMI because I think that's super important. Like we all know BMI is crap and measuring whether you are healthy or you're not healthy. It's it's crap. It is, however, a good kind of research tool for population level. If you're using it as like a what I often like compare it to when I'm talking to patients is it's a bit like a car insurance. So, for example, teenagers, car insurance is always way more expensive because if you look at a big population group, teenagers are more likely to crash the car. So therefore, their car insurance is more expensive. And when you look at a big pool of population groups, so women, women who've got a certain BMI, so classically over 35, were shown to have more risk of blood clots, heart attacks and strokes when they're on the combined hormonal contraceptive method. So that's not to say that, you know, you with your BMI of you know, whatever it is, is going to have a blood clot. But it's saying that you have more risk of it based on this big population data. And so that's one of the challenges that we have, because what we want to do is we want to try and create like an individualized, personalized plan that goes, well, actually, you know, your BMI is 35, but you're a, you know, you're a, a sort of hardcore gym bunny that can lift like, you know, 60 kilograms. Yeah, the, your risks of having a blood clot are super low because you're moving your body more. You're not, you know, the, the risk is associated with the blood um, not moving as much through your body. So therefore it can form a clot. So that's the theory behind it. So if you're moving lots, like you're super active, your clot risk should be lower. But because we have these guidelines and because the, because as you know, like everyone is so obsessed with BMI, it's such an easy measure. It's like an easy, lazy measure of, of general health, inverted commas, because it's not health, that it's, it's kind of, it's become totally infiltrated into all of the research. So the guidelines which the faculty put together, Factor of Sexual Reproductive Health put together, they can only present what data is out there. So the data they have to go on is, is this research that's been done for the last like 50 years, looking at BMI. And until we can switch to a better measure, so whether that be, you know, abdominal circumference and hip, you know, abdominal hip difference and all that type of stuff, we are still working with the BMI. And if we prescribe, so basically the way all contraceptives, we talk about this thing called UK MEC, which is UK medical eligibility criteria, I think, off the top of my head. Um, And it categorizes risk into four bits. So you've got number one, which is like crack on, do what you want with it. You've got number four, which is the other end of the scale, which is like, hell no, very dangerous, don't do it. And then you've got the two in the middle. So UK MEC two is like, there are more risks than UK MEC one, but it's probably safer than you getting pregnant. And then UK MEC three pushes on to, actually, this is a really bad idea. Like this is like not a good option. It's way risky, but it's not like a hundred percent no, but it'd be really risky to use it. And so when they categorize BMI, they're only looking at combined contraceptives. So this is this is only estrogen progesterone combined methods, so the pill patch and vaginal ring. If your BMI is over 35, you push into UK MEC 3. So it starts to kind of get to the point where people don't feel comfortable prescribing. There are some prescribers who are sort of quite confident in themselves that would prescribe UK MEC 3, but you'd have to, if something happened and that person died from a stroke, heart attack, or a you know, blood clot, you'd be in really sticky water because you'd prescribed a, something that was potentially going to make them more likely to clot. So that's kind of where all that sort of comes from. So we've got this like really crappy measure of of your health, but it's so infiltrated into our guidelines that we can't use anything else. Um, 
but what I think is really important is how you discuss it. Like, so I, what I try to do is give people all the options and I say, like, the, these are all the options you've got and it's up to you with how you make that decision. And, and most people, um, you know, say if their BMI is over 35 and you're saying, actually, it's probably, you've got this risk of stroke, blood clots and heart attacks. They're like, actually, I'll try something else, you know, but they've made that decision. They are empowered rather than going in and being weighed and someone going, oh yeah, you're too fat. You can't use this, which does happen. And people dread going to their contraceptive reviews because they're so frightened of being weighed and I just think you know it, it's you know people should not be fright, frightened coming to see you in your like clinic like you are so vulnerable when you go and see your GP or practice nurse you know we all know what it's like like it's I, I hate going to the GP you know I really hate it um but it's that you know you're at your most vulnerable state when you go in and then someone weighs you and it's like, and it's, it's, you know, it's the same law for you with like fertility, you know, clinics, like you're so vulnerable and then someone is weighing you and it's like, it just seems so cruel. It's just adding a layer of, you know, sort of upset on top of what's already a challenging yeah. situation. So I understand it when it comes to like effectiveness of like medication, when, yeah. it, when it's so like, when it's necessary, for example, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, uh, the morning after pill, is that what it's still called? Well, we call it emergency contraceptive because it, it depends when you have sex, whether it's morning after or not. <laughs> <laughs> so I read recently that it can be ineffective if you are a higher weight and that actually there is medical advice that you should take too. Uh, so is it the same with the contraceptive pill as well? Are, like some less effective if you're bigger or would you take double the dose? So the, the only one really is the um, contraceptive patch. So the combined patch can be less effective if your weight is over 90 kilograms. But I think, yeah, I mean, the emergency, emergency contraceptive is super important. I think it's something we should really also put in the bag of dicks because there's two there's two different um, morning after pills or emergency contraceptive pills that are they're available and what they do is they stop you ovulating so that to try and spread out the gap between sperm and egg so that they can't meet and so that's the whole theory behind yeah, morning after pill so if you've ovulated already morning after pill is not going to do a lot we we still recommend taking it but it's probably not going to do a huge amount and there's two different ones there's um leaving or gestural um, and if your if your weight is over seventy kilograms or your BMI is over I mean twenty six, then you have to take two. So if you're someone that's paying for your emergency contraceptive pill, so you can get it free. Remember on the NHS, but if you're paying, you have to pay twice. And remember that the average weight in the UK is 72 kilograms. So more than half of our population are having to pay for two of them. Stop it! It's bonkers. I mean, the, I have to say the copper coil is the best form of emergency contraceptive because you can have it fitted up to five days after ovulation. So it gives you a much bigger window and then you've got an ongoing contraceptive on board as well so it's much more effective to have the copper coil fitted and you can have there's a much more range of time for you to have it fitted in so there's much more of your cycle that you can have it fitted in compared to the pill so if you know that the first choice should always be the the copper coil um the morning after pill is just you know something you know to to think about as well but um copper coil through your local sexual health clinic that's the thing that will stop an unwanted pregnancy and give you something to use in the future so if you're in trouble like you know and you're worried obviously get the morning after pill from your local pharmacy or you can get it online but but get in contact with your sexual health clinic and get them to fit a copper coil because there's a massive amount of room to get it fitted in so um yeah one of the myths about the emergency contraceptive that i've always heard growing up was that it can affect uh, fertility is that true or is that a myth Nah, it's a myth it's a myth okay. with all these things like the only the only real one that can affect your fertility is the is the injectable 
you know the the either say on a press or a depot and um, but no n- using the morning after pill won't affect your fertility it, it delays ovulation that's all it's doing so it might make you might make your cycle go a bit wonky for for one or two but um it won't it definitely won't affect your fertility at all but you um, mentioned the injection the injection one is that all the injections because i know friends that have had like the injections and how do they affect just so we can not worry people <laughs> they're both so you've got the depot which is one that your practice nurse will inject you with and you've got a sayana press which is one that you can inject yourself at home um, i did depot in my bum yes exactly you get it in your muscle of your bum um and so but yeah so not everyone but like the they say the research shows it can take up to 18 months of your ovulation to kick back in again so that's the key with it the, i can't i can't don't quite know what the mechanism is i presume that it has more of a long-term like suppression of your the way that your brain talks to your ovaries in terms of um getting that ovulation cycle going so just yeah so that's the one I would say like steer clear of if you're wanting a pregnancy in the next two or three years don't have an injection didn't know that this honestly I'm learning so much Laura I don't know about you (laughs) same I want to go back to the myths slightly as well as we're talking about the myths around the emergency contraceptive are there any other myths that you would like to bust yeah well I guess one of the things that I think is that we need to talk about a bit more with PCOS is that I think I personally in 10 years time, I don't think PCOS will be a diagnosis. I think it's actually an umbrella for lots of different conditions. So come back to me and it'll be like, you know, when I'm maybe a professor in a university in like 10, 20 years time. You will I'll be, be like, absolutely. <laughs> I'll be like, look, because, and, and, and there's a real push, like in America, they call it hypo and hyperandrogenism. I, 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 we think that PCOS has probably got lots of different types of conditions that have all been lumped under this concept of PCOS. And there are people with, with hormonal imbalances that don't have any cysts on their ovaries. And there are people with cysts on their ovaries that don't have any hormonal imbalance. Like there's a lot of work um, to try and change the name into something that kind of maybe means more to people because people are often like oh my ovaries are normal so therefore it can't be PCOS but actually what you know there's different types of PCOS that I think will eventually be broken down into different conditions so oh, the, the so P, the word PCOS I think in 10 years will have disappeared and I think we'll talk more about different you know um insulin sensitivity for example or insulin resistance hormonal changes and we'll talk more about like yeah. androgen excess yeah and you might be and some people might have a combination of the two but the problem is a lot of the advice is like it, there's a real muddle with how you manage it and I, and I hear all this advice to, you know about different ways of managing PCOS and actually I think it, you know we need to really look at an individual what's an individual experiencing um, and what we do need is a better way of diagnosing it because we know that women from ethnic minority groups for example are massively underdiagnosed with PCOS because the current they use this thing called Rotterdam criteria which is this like criteria for um, diagnosing PCOS and it doesn't work for everybody because everyone's got such different hormone levels, you know. Um, like, for example, like you mentioned back when you were in your 20s, like about severe acne. So if you had severe acne, that's like a tick on the three Rotterdam criteria. Like you need you need two out of three. And something like severe acne would be a tick. And if you had, so say you'd stopped all your contraceptives at that point and you had no periods or an irregular period, that would be another one, another tick on the criteria. So you would have had two out of three. So you would have had a diagnosis of PCOS then. But a lot of women use use contraceptives because they've got irregular periods or they've got acne so we don't really know whether they have irregular or no periods because they're not on they're on a they're on a hormonal contraceptive so you know we need to evolve a better way of diagnosing it and there are there are sort of thoughts in the pipeline around these things called biomarkers which are sort of chemicals that you produce in your blood that would give us a surefire way of diagnosing PCOS but yeah it's um, all in the pipeline in terms of research but yeah I think I think we won't use PCOS as a diagnosis term 
in like 10 years time I think we'll have hopefully if more money gets spent in the area of research we'll have a completely different way of thinking about it I hope there is because it does feel like it's under researched underfunded 100%. and like you are just left like just literally left to fend for yourself it's horrible but don't you think this brings I was gonna say don't you think this brings in like weight stigma 100% like, because I'm I so kind of feel like that. if it was like if it was men that had PCOS or if it was skinny people that had PCOS it makes me feel like oh well you're you know, because women with PCOS, PCOS do have huge issues in terms of weight loss and they predominantly will gain weight, it's like, oh, well, just lose weight because that's your treatment. And it's like, but they've gained the weight because of these crazy yeah, hormones. Yeah, just say, oh, uh, just lose weight then. And that is such a huge over, over Calories in, calories out. Yeah, that is <laughs> such a huge annoying. oversimplification. And it's, it's, it's annoying at best and like rude really like yeah. work like at worst and I just I just find that so frustrating it's so interesting yeah. that you said that well you need to look on the this... PCOS community because um like it's it's so great because there's loads of people sharing different things they've trialed and they can like rate like you know, they might talk about spiralactone or metformin or you know different things that they've tried to see what what works better and what doesn't work um and at least it's getting the conversation going because at the moment we're doing like little pockets mm-hmm. of things in different places but until we can expand and get the research better more inclusive research you know um people from ethnic minority groups people of different genders people of different weights like unless we can include all of those in research studies we're not going to be able to have research that properly means something to to the world because like a lot of research yeah. will exclude you if you're over 70 kilograms you know because everything is 70 kilograms i'm in 70 kilograms since i was about 12 do you know what i mean like it's it, it's a bonkers world so um yeah so it needs to change right from the start yeah i do feel like there is stigma around pcos politic ovaries as well because like you said a lot of women do carry extra weight and also because of like you know like prone to facial hair which which i certainly am and so i think that there's like a shame around it and that that can stop people getting help or just talking about it but actually like we should be talking about it because as we and lauren know finding this community of plus size women um, and women with body image you know issues and hang-ups like it makes you feel seen and makes you feel heard and makes you feel valid and it just yeah it saddens me really that we kind of are made to feel like i don't know sometimes i feel like an ogre with it because like I get such hairy and I'm I'm I am quite like lucky that I, I'm fair but I still get like a really hairy like face and it's literally every two to three days now I'm having to either wax or pluck and spend oh, 20 minutes you. plucking yeah um yeah, yeah. and it hugely affects you doesn't it yeah huge it does it massively affects your self-esteem yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. the weight is the biggest thing like yeah when I got the diagnosis it really made me feel kind of validated if, mm. if I'm honest of like there's a reason why like I'm not just a greedy bastard like do, do you know suspect, what I mean like, I suspect this has been going on since you were like in puberty we just didn't have a very good way of describing it like, um, yeah. and I think because what's happening is you're getting these like these massive like surges of hormones by produced by the pituitary gland in the brain that then causes the, the changes in the ovaries but also changes your, your insulin like how you can how your body accepts the message of insulin and therefore an insulin's a thing that um, you know helps you you know absorb um sugar into your into your cells and there you therefore use them so if it's, you've got sugar floating around the system it gets converted into fat and classically fat around the abdominal area and yeah. and, and this is something that people sure. have no control of like you know and we're telling them oh we're just you know calories in calories out like go and eat some lettuce and it's you like try you, keto you, yeah you've got like you've got something going on inside your body that is different like you know so yeah i get very frustrated but um yeah i i, I feel like there's, there's a change coming i feel i definitely feel like 
like with my research, it, it, I started out and I felt like I was just the one voice like shouting at all the, you know, the conferences I went to. And now it feels like more and more people are getting, you know, I feel like there's a bit of a role coming. And obviously the lowdown, the work they're doing, I, I do think things are changing. I think there's there's been a re- massive realisation, like only 2% of funding in like public um, research funding is on pregnancy, childbirth and reproductive health. 2%. Everything else is spent on bloody cardiology, you know, it, like all the cardiac My drugs, word. you know, erectile dysfunction, like oncology drugs, like all very important, but like half the population. So is this. Yeah. yeah. So do you think there'll ever be, yeah. I don't want to say cure, but do you think there'll ever be treatment for PCOS and endometriosis? Because they do feel like, as I said, there's stigma, there's a silence around it and it just doesn't feel like there's really any help. Like one of my best, best friends has got endometriosis and I saw her recently and she looked pregnant and she was literally doubled over in pain. And I was thinking like, this isn't right. Like this, this just feels so wrong. Yeah. I mean, there's some incredible work being done. Like, so there's a team up in Edinburgh who are doing some amazing work around endometriosis. One of the problems is we don't really understand it. Like we don't really understand why some people are prone to it. Some people aren't. There's some crazy ideas about like gut bacteria that might be involved in it. There's some thoughts around like genetics. Like we, we don't really fully understand it. And I think until we can fully understand why people get it, we can't find a cure. Um, I think one of the huge changes that I hope will happen with endometriosis is diagnosis. So if we can, you know, develop, like, for, for example, like in Canada, um, there's this amazing gynecologist um, called Matthew Ricardo, who he does advanced ultrasounds. He can diagnose and map endometriosis through ultrasound scan. Like, it's incredible. So you don't need a laparoscopy. You don't need a surgery to have a, uh, to find it. And so if we can develop that in the UK, there's a few centres in London that do the ultrasound. But if that was available everywhere, everyone could have an advanced ultrasound that has like horrible periods as a teenager that could like pick up on loads of endo so people aren't waiting until they go to fertility clinic in their 30s and they find it or you know like you know have it diagnosed because they've come off the pill and they can't they're crippled and can't go to work you know people miss like three days of work a, a month like if that was happening to like you know one of the politicians that controls where the finances are i'm sure sure as hell we get more money into women's women's health and um, but because it happens to women and we just crack on because you know we you know it's periods like it's normalized you know it's okay we well, go to bed for you know 24 hours because of your period pain it's normalized isn't it so nobody kind of gets up and, and does anything about it and i feel that's changing women are going actually no sod this I've had enough like you know time to to do something about it and I do think that that movement is happening and and definitely like Alice from the like our founder um Alice Pelton has been amazing in terms of raising the agenda you know she goes to like House of Parliament meetings and things and shouts about it you know so I do think people are starting to stand up there's this new women's health initiative that's come out um from the Department of Health which is which is trying to shift research and money into women's health women's health hubs are coming hopefully so there are there are shifts happening but it's not happening quick, quickly enough and we just need to be really vocal about it in my opinion so um hopefully I honestly feel like this could be a four hour I'm I've got, honestly, I've got so many more questions to ask you but I think that might have to be it for today. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, honestly, like it's just so wonderful to like just tell how passionate you are and how knowledgeable you are. And I'm so, so grateful for you coming on to, to the pod. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I've literally had the best time and I'm like a super fangirl. So this has been like a really exciting fangirl experience for me. So uh, yeah, it's oh, awesome. Love and lovely, lovely to see you in person rather than listening to your voices in my car on the way to work. <laughs> <laughs> My God, Laura, I my brain is so full of new information. <laughs> same, babe, same. 
How wonderful is Dr. Becky? I feel like I need her in my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. And and literally, as soon as we finished recording, we were like, we could make this a series. I've got, we didn't, I think we honestly asked two of our original questions that we had. And we had, we have got so many more questions to ask. And I've got so many more topics I want to talk about. I want to get in depth about periods, like Mm. all of it. And I think she was just, it was a really good episode. And I really hope people enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope you gained something from it as well. And and I definitely would say to check out the Lowdown website. Like, uh, but thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back with a brand new episode next week. But if you want more of us in the meantime, why wouldn't you? Make sure you follow us on Instagram. We are at Go Love Yourself Pod, and our Facebook group is Go Love Yourself Community. Or you can get in touch with us on email, Go Love at CrowdNetwork.co.uk. And you can also support the show by subscribing on Patreon or Apple Podcasts, where you can get ad-free and early episodes for £1 a week. Or you can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. And a reminder about our live shows. They're all in London on Monday the 30th of October, Tuesday the 21st of November, and Wednesday the 20th of December. There is more information and a link to buy your tickets in the episode description. And last but not least, we want to say a special thank you to our amazing official sponsors on Patreon. Veronica, Sarah, Megan, Stephanie, Roe, Bethan... Becky, Samantha, Michelle, Grace, Claudia, Sarah, Michelle, Naomi, Susie, Hannah, Jane, Laura, Katie, Sarah and Christina. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.